Heavenly Father, speak now. Your servants are listening. Do what we cannot do in our own power. Would you transform us? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I'm going to read from the words of the Apostle Paul. This is what Paul says, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Paul, called as an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God at Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called as saints with all those in every place, call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God for you because of the grace of God given to you in Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in him in every way, in all speech and all knowledge. In this way, the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will also strengthen you to the end, so that you will be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. You were called by him into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is the reading of the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So just uh, if you remember back to if you were here in August, we kicked off this year what we call it a year of wholeheartedness, learning as a community what it means to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love each other as God has loved us. So as we come together uh, here in June and we kick off this new series, we're kind of wrapping up, in a sense, this year of wholeheartedness by looking at and applying the different principles and things that we've learned about wholeheartedness to the work of vocation and to the work, uh, work of our vocations. And before I jump into this uh, topic, um, we're going to do this a little bit different in terms of how we teach this. So as many of you know, uh, Hannah Anderson is our visiting teacher. I encourage you, if you've not had a chance to listen to her workshops, the podcast that we're doing, she is a world-class theologian and scholar, particularly when it comes to the area of vocation. I don't know of uh, hardly anybody that's done more work on the Imago Day and vocation than Hannah. And so uh, Hannah and I are actually going to co-teach this series together, even though she lives in Roanoke, uh, Roanoke, Virginia. She is dropping video segments into our sermons, so she'll be co-teaching this with me. And then in a couple weeks, uh, at least once, if not twice, she's going to fly in and actually teach uh, alongside of me as we unpack this in these different uh, vocational contexts. So that's how we're going to do it. So I'm going to teach for a little bit, and then in a moment, there's going to be a video, and Hannah's going to pop on, and then I'll close this out uh, at the end as we move towards uh, application and, and uh, communion. So let me just say this about uh, vocation um, and about the importance of this series. One of the key tasks in our discipleship to Jesus is to discover and to wholeheartedly live out our vocations. It's one of the key aspects of being a disciple of Jesus is discovering and wholeheartedly living out your vocation. Now, when we say vocation, I want to make sure, all we're going to do today is just kind of introduce the concept of vocation or calling. And, and I want to bring us into the logic of what Paul means when he says called. Because Paul doesn't mean by calling exactly what some of us think he means by vocation or calling. There's a logic that guides Paul and a momentum through the library of Scripture that we need to attend to and look at if we're going to understand calling before we go out and start applying it to some of the different contexts of vocation that we'll look at 
the next couple weeks. So let me give you a definition of vocation. Because when we think of vocation, for some of us, number one thing that probably pops into your mind is what? Work. But vocation is so much more than work. It's not less than work. It's so much more than work. And so um, I want to give you this definition. I think it's a simple way to define vocation. Vocation is our response to God's call to love him and to love others through the unique circumstances of our lives. Vocation is our response to God's call to love him and love others through the unique circumstances of our lives. Let me just break that down and unpack that because I want to make sure we all explain uh, what y'all understand what I mean by this statement. So the first thing we see here is that vocation is a response to God's call. This word call that Paul uses three times in this passage here is the word, and it's actually used 17 times in the book of Corinthians, which is why we're using 1 Corinthians as kind of our, our uh, framework for the series. Uh, Paul says he's called as an apostle of Jesus Christ. He talks about them being called as saints, about people calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, about being called into fellowship with Jesus Christ. This word is the word kaleo in the Greek. And it simply just means to call. What, what is translated here to call or kaleo in the Greek later became known uh, in kind of Western theology as vocation. So the Latin word vocare um, is the same idea here as calling or kaleo, and it's the word from which we get our word vocation. Think of vocalized. There is a calling from outside of ourselves that comes to us to which we are to respond. Now, the primary reference in calling in Paul um, is about God's call to follow Jesus, right? Like there's one level in which this is just a call to be a disciple. Paul talks about being called into koinonia, called into common life, a common communion, into union with God. He's talking about salvation. We're called to follow Jesus. We're called to reorient our life. Like when Jesus shows up in the Gospels, the first thing he does is calls his disciples. He says, follow me. Follow my teaching. Follow my life. Follow me as your teacher, as your savior. This is the pattern. The, the way that Jesus calls us, the way that God calls us to follow him is the pattern and the power for all other callings. It's the most foundational calling of our lives. We're called as saints. We're called as holy ones, as ones who are designed to experience wholeness in Christ. Paul's logic for invoking this word call, kaleo, he didn't just make this up out of thin air. There's a logic that Paul is dialing into in a deep um, kind of well of, um, of memory when it comes to this idea of calling that he draws on. And this really goes all the way back to the creation account in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. We don't have time to get into that in this message. But if you remember the creation story, it's, chapter one is this beautiful piece of poetry, right? It's a beautiful piece of poetry, and there's a, a rhythm to the way that chapter one works. If you notice, who is the primary actor in Genesis chapter one? God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then immediately God begins to speak in verses two and following in chapter one. He begins to call out to the world. He begins to call out first to creation, it's kind of cool to think about. Even creation has a vocation. It's called to honor God. It's called to submit 
to God's design for flourishing. So there's this call and response where God says, let there be, and then it happens. That's the, that's the rhythm of Genesis chapter one. Let there be, and so it was. Let there be, and so it was. Then we get on down to verse 27, and God says, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, as a representative of us, the Trinitarian presence. Male and female, he creates them, he blesses them, and he says, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. And he places them in a garden to continue the work of forming and filling and shaping and cultivating as gardeners the very work that God was doing in Genesis chapter 1. He says, now you go out and you fulfill that calling on your lives. You live in relationship with me, and as you live in relationship with me, you are now my icons. That's the idea of image bearers. You bear my image. You bear my imprint. You are my representatives to the world. Take what you've experienced with me, the flourishing and the wholeness of a relationship with me. My presence and my purpose is an extended out to the rest of the world. And this calling and response, Adam and Eve are invited into this. This becomes the pattern for the call of Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, the call of Moses in Exodus chapter 3, the call of Israel in Exodus chapter 19, the call of David and Samuel and the prophets, and ultimately the calling of God's own son, Jesus. So when Paul says you're called, He's drawing on this imagery. He's drawing on this imagination. When we are called by God into a relationship with Jesus as his disciples, we are being restored to our original primal vocation, our calling in Genesis chapter 1 to be image bearers in relationship with God, living out God's mission in the world. That's what Paul's doing here in 1 Corinthians. So, let me just say this about vocation and just take a huge weight off of your shoulders. Whether we're talking about your work or we're talking about your family or we're talking about your commitment to celibacy, whatever it is, here's the truth that we learn about God's providence and vocation. Vocation is not something we create, but something you're called to by God. It's not just about what you do but about who you do it with and who you're becoming in the process. Let me just say that again. Vocation is not something you create. It's something you're called to by God. It's not just about what you do. Don't you hate that question? If Austin Evans is in the room, I know he always, he hates this question. What do you do? No. Who are you with? You're with God. You're living out God's calling in the world and you're becoming a certain kind of person. That's the heart of vocation. Our vocation is always a response to a divine call. It always originates in the will of God. That's what Paul says, called an apostle by the will of God. It's first answering, not creating, but answering God's call and God's working in our lives and in the world. And surrendering to that providence, it's hard. It flies in the face of everything in the Western narrative, right? The Western narrative is one of self-creation. We're autonomous beings. We, li life is a blank canvas, right? You choose your own destiny, right? Like if you grow up in Indianapolis, I've heard this from people who grow up here. I hear this a lot. There's this pressure like, what do you want to do when you get older? I don't know, but I want to get out of Indianapolis. I want to make something of myself. I want to choose my path. 
follow my passion, write my own story. (laughs) And then you end up in your 20s and 30s with what? Choice anxiety, choice paralysis, decision fatigue. I don't know, I thought I wanted to be the captain of my ship, but now it's actually kind of hard. Like the weight of destiny falling on my shoulders is pretty heavy weight. I remember when I first became a Christian as a teenager and into my young adult years, people would always ask this question, what are you going to do with your life? What, what, what's God's call in your life? And I'm like, I, I don't know. And it was kind of presented to me as there's a path, right? There's one path, like a tightrope. And you've got to find this path, discover God's will for your life. And if you get it wrong, man, you're lost forever. There's still all this pressure and anxiety to get it right. And I think Paul's trying to liberate us from all of that. Paul's trying to free us from the burden of charting our own path. You don't have to figure it out. God's got this. God's good providence means that you can never be outside the will of God fully. There's a providential working that kind of surrounds our vocation. That's the foundation of our vocation. So we respond to God's call. And then notice another part of that. God calls us in the unique circumstances, social circumstances of our lives. God's call to us to love him and love other people comes in the midst of unique social circumstances. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 17, Paul says this, Each one must live his life in the situation the Lord assigned when God called him. This is what I command in all the churches. Notice those words, called and assigned. There's providence again at work. God has called you, and he's assigned the stations of life, the circumstances, the context of your life. And in the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about not just one vocation, your work, which in America, in a place where we've, we've become, we're becoming increasingly secularized in our overarching narrative, work kind of takes the place of religion for us. Politics takes the place of religion for us. And that's why we've reduced vocation down to work. But in Paul's imagination in 1 Corinthians, there's multiple callings. There's not just one vocation. There are multiple vocational contexts. Paul talks about being called to a body and how to live in our bodies as as stewards of our bodies. That includes our sexuality. We're called by God to have sexual integrity. That means our, our race and our ethnicity is determined by God. We don't choose what skin color we have, our pigmentation, our chromosomes, what family we're born into. There's a lot that it's not up to us. God assigns. He calls us to work. Paul talks about his work as an apostle. He talks about our labors as the church, as people who work inside and outside the church. He talks about family, about marriage, and about parenting. He talks about celibacy. I mean, chapter 7 is all about should you be single or should you get married? And Paul says, by the way, you should be single in a, in a social context where we, we have so elevated marriage and romance. These words come like a splash to our face. Paul says, you're going to have stress. You're going to have challenges if you get married. So we'll talk about that. Church, we're called to a body. Citizenship, we're called to be students. These are all different vocations. And each of these is sacred, 
None is better than another, and each has dignity and value in the eyes of God in its own right. So part of discerning our calling is understanding God's providence in our lives, the givens in our lives, our social context, where have I been placed, what family am I in, what neighborhood do I live in, what job have I fallen into, what are the gifts, he talks in chapter one about being gifted, what gifts has God given me, what kind of personality has God given me, what desires, what limitations do I live within, these are all part of understanding our calling. David Benner, uh, an author, a Christian author, says this, without de-emphasizing the value of the Bible in knowing my calling, I have come to understand an even more basic place in which God's will for me has been communicated. That is in the givens of my being. My temperament, my personality, my abilities, my interests and passions all say something about who I was called to be, not simply who I am. If I really believe that I was created by God and invited to find my place in his kingdom, I have to take seriously what God had already revealed about who I am. So there's this paradox in vocation. God's providence on the one hand, but also the invitation to discover who God's made us to be. Who God's made us to be in Christ. It's a paradox of discovery and that's why Paul goes on to write at the, end, uh, at the end of this passage in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 21. He says, each one must live his life in the situation the Lord assigned him when God called him. This is what I command in all the churches. But if you can, become free. By all means, take advantage of the present moment or take advantage of the opportunity. Paul is talking here to a minority community without much social capital indentured slaves, which is different than chattel slavery. We don't have time to get into that, but it's different. He's talking to women. He's talking to Gentiles. And Paul's saying, though you don't create your vocations, you must discover them and you must make choices. There is agency in our vocations. If you can get free, do it, Paul says. But if not, don't worry about it. He's not saying don't worry about it in the sense of, oh, man, it won't be hard. He's saying you can still serve God in your vocation regardless of where you're at. But if you can change it, you should and do it. So there's an invitation for especially those who maybe think their dreams don't count, who are on the minority side of the equation to dream, to desire, to explore, to experiment, to risk. And I know, and Hannah and I have talked about this a lot, how challenging that can be for women, how challenging that can be for minorities, where your whole life is, your, your choices and your dreams have been dictated by other people. So there's an invitation with a new imagination to say, God, what do you have for me? What does it look like for, for me to live out the vocations that you've called me into? Second thing, quickly, and I'll just mention this, the purpose of vocation then is to love. And I think we know this. We've talked about this a lot. So we're, it's, it's a response to God, and it's, and it's a call to love, right? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 16, 14, he goes on at the end of this book, your every action must be done with love. Vocation is not about making money in the, kind of in the interest of fulfilling my dreams and my desires for myself. It is a call to love others. It is a call to love God and to love my neighbor as myself. 
Let's listen as Hannah continues uh, to unpack this for us. Well, I hope at this point that you're starting to get a glimpse of what it might mean for you in your particular life, in the life God has given you, to live out your vocation, to love him, to love others, to come into fellowship with Jesus Christ. Now, as Brandon said, this is something that's distinct and specific to your own calling, and it's a process of discovery. We are learning how God has put us together and leaning into the lives that he's given us in order to live out this calling to love God and to love our neighbor as ourselves. But you don't have to get very far down that process of discovery, that road of pursuing vocation before you hit some hurdles. Because you know as well as I do that it's not as simple as just deciding what to do and then go doing it. Maybe you have a very clear idea of what you think you are called to do. Maybe you have a very clear calling to relationships, to a community. And yet, as you try to work out that calling, you find yourself frustrated. You find that your efforts and your relationships aren't bringing forth the fruit that you think they should bring forth. So what's going on here? Are you in the wrong calling? Have you somehow missed your vocation? Probably not. Probably what's going on is that you simply live in a broken world. And to understand what it means to pursue our calling within the brokenness, we need to go back to the scripture, we need to go back to 1 Corinthians, and we need to go back to Genesis again. Now, within the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul is over and over again talking about this calling. He is called to be an apostle. We are called into fellowship with Jesus Christ. But when he speaks about these things that we're called to, he invariably couches it in context of the world that we live in. For example, in 1 Corinthians 7, when he talks about the call to marriage and family, he talks about it in terms of having trouble in the world, that those who marry will have trouble in the world and they will have divided attention, that they won't be able to pursue both a vocation of marriage and another vocation. At the same time, in that same chapter, when he talks about singleness, he couches it this way, for the present distress. So even as Paul is teaching us what it means to follow the call of God on our lives, he's doing so in context of an assumption about the difficulties of this world and how that will affect our vocation, how it will limit us in our ability to respond to the voice of God and maybe sometimes even to hear the call of God in our lives. All of this is built off of assumptions that we find in Genesis. Just as Genesis 1 gives us the paradigm and the vision for our calling as image bearers and our being called into the world, both into relationship with other people and into good work that God has placed us in. It also teaches us why pursuing those vocations is so difficult. You only have to get to Genesis 3 before you see human beings trying to live out their vocation in very broken, cursed spaces. Now, for sake of time, I'll just assume that you know the story of how Adam and Eve disobeyed the voice of God, how they resisted the call of God on their lives and in pride did those things which they were not to do. They took the fruit they were not to eat. 
and in so doing, plunge themselves and the world into futility. But it's what happens immediately after that that I want to draw your attention to. Because in Genesis 3, verses 14 through 16, we see descriptions of what will happen to their interpersonal relationships. That even the vocation to relationship is cursed now. That there will be internal tension. That there will be things inside of them that will make it difficult for them to fulfill the call of God on their lives, even if it's the call to live in peaceful relationship with other people. We see in verse 15, for example, that there is hostility. There's hostility between the woman and the serpent. We see in verse 16 that the woman's body will be cursed. Her very body that she exists in is going to have to put up with the pain of labor of bringing children into the world. And between the man and the woman, their own relationship will be cursed with this tension between them. And so even though they are called to this work of relationship, they are called to this work of being fruitful and multiplying, it's not going to go easily. And we only have to go a few verses down to see how this curse extends even to the work that they're doing outside of their bodies. Not just the work between them, not just the work within their own physical bodies, but the work that they would try to engage in in the earth. The ground is cursed, the scripture tells us. They will work and work and work by the sweat of their brow and they will eat dust, the scripture tells us, only to have thorns and thistles come from their labor. But I think you know what this feels like. You know what it feels like to work and work and work, whether it's at a relationship or a job or a calling that you believe God has given you, only to see fruitlessness, only to have thorns and thistles come about. And I think this is where we struggle within our own context, because we are a society that has really taught us that if you just work hard enough, you'll be able to fulfill your vocation. If you just have enough grit, if you have enough determination, if you put the time in, you will be successful, whether that's in your relationships, it's in your career, or even in your community. It's just a matter of hard work. But here we see the scripture teaching us something vastly different, that living under the weight of sin means that sometimes, and perhaps often, our hard work is not the determination of whether we see fruit for our labor. We can work and work and work at the things that God has given us to do and still feel fruitless. We can still feel like failures. And it's hard for us to reconcile this, especially living in the context in which we live. Because what often happens is when we see a lack of success, whether in our own lives or someone else's, we trace it back to something we have done wrong or something that another person has done wrong. And perhaps this is true. It is true that we can be lazy or we can inhibit our own growth by a lack of surrender, or perhaps we have fear that is holding us back. All of these things can hold us back. But I think what we need to understand as well is that we exist in a larger brokenness. 
And a lot of times the things that come into our vocation that press in on us is really just the weight of sin and the brokenness around us. And so as you begin this process of discerning how to live out your vocations, how to live out your callings, I just want to remind you of the testimony of scripture, that this is a difficult thing that there are going to be hurdles and challenges, and you shouldn't be surprised when they come. But I also want to draw your attention to this, that there is one whose very vocation, the call on his life, was to enter this very brokenness that we are all trying to escape. Because if we are honest with ourselves, we would much rather live and work out our callings in a place of ease where there aren't thorns and thistles that come from our hard work, where we don't have hostility and frustration with those that we're trying to partner with. And yet the scripture tells us that Jesus Christ, in fulfilling his calling, in fulfilling the call of the Father on his life, he actively ran toward the brokenness. The way Philippians 2 puts it is that he became obedient And there's that idea again of answering the call of God in obedience. He became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And I want you to consider for a moment, not just what the death of Christ means for our salvation, for our calling into fellowship with him, for our redemption, but what it means for our vocations, what it means for the lives that God has given us to live out. I think it means several things, but what it means at its most basic level is that Jesus Christ has come into the world in order to redeem not just us, but our vocations. And we see this beautiful picture of Christ on the cross, suffering the brokenness of this world, running to it, embracing it, and in that final moment, having a crown of thorns placed on his head. Now remember what Genesis 3 tells us. The thorns and the thistles represent the brokenness, not just of the world, but within our vocations. All that work that we try to invest, all the energy, all the effort that we put into our relationships, our communities, our work, only to see it bring forth briars and brambles. And yet in this moment, When the devil and his angels are mocking our Savior and taking this symbol of brokenness and pressing it on his brow, we also know that our Savior in those moments was triumphant. And so it is in this example and in this calling that we live that the God who has called us to our vocations and our callings is the same God who gave his son to redeem those very vocations. So to be a disciple of Jesus, to be called into quantity with him, to be called into this fellowship of suffering. To be a disciple means to be with Jesus, to become like him, and to learn to do what he did in the world. And like Jesus, with his spirit in us, by faith through grace, we too must live out our vocations redemptively, but within the sinful constraints and the limitations and the sinfulness of the curse as we wait for the full, as Paul says, the full revealing of Jesus' new kingdom. 
here on the earth. And this is why your vocation feels so hard at times. It feels difficult. It feels pointless and futile and empty many times and exhausting all the time. Now, I want you just to take a moment and I want you to think about the different vocations, the different callings that God has placed you in, has assigned to you right now. We're going to talk about all of these over the next several weeks. We're going to talk about the calling to our body and the, and the frustrations of living within the constraints of this meat, this body right here, in all of its glory. We're going to talk about our work. We're going to talk about family, both biological and spiritual family, celibacy and marriage. We're going to talk about church. But I want you just for a moment to think about your vocations. Maybe throw that slide back up at the vocational context. And I want you to think about what you're carrying right now, the frustrations, the suffering, the limitations that you're living under, that you're chafing against, that you, if you could just wave a magic wand, would love to just wave away and escape. Think about the, the, the frustrations of being in your body, the shame that you maybe carry about your appearance, your weight, your height, your eye color, your skin color, the chronic illnesses that we carry in our body living in a broken world aging and what that does to our bodies. Unfulfilled sexual desires that we carry in our bodies. We long to be fulfilled and yet we don't ever seem to get what we want. Think about your work. How many of you feel stuck in your jobs? How many of you are unemployed or underemployed in this season? And maybe you're not an entrepreneur, you're not in the tech world, you're you're in a blue-collar job, a vocational job. Maybe you went to technical school and got trained, or maybe you're an artist, or maybe you're an essential worker. Nobody's writing books or holding conferences about your job. Maybe you're successful, and you're all of those things I just mentioned, but you feel empty on the inside. You feel bankrupt where it really counts. Maybe you're working at home. How about this? As a mom who's not paid, and you're wondering, does my vocation matter because I don't get a paycheck? at least not in the U.S. You think about your family and the struggles of being single, right? Maybe some of you want to be married. Maybe some of you don't, but still you're single and you feel the loneliness and the pain and you walk out even into church and it seems like everybody's paired off. Everybody's got their family except for you. Maybe you struggle with same-sex attraction. Maybe you identify as a gay Christian and you're trying to live a celibate life and you're walking in that space of what does it look like for me to be faithful to God and take up the vocation of being single and celibate and committed to God with my sexuality, but in a, in a world, especially in the church where that's so hard, and you struggle. Maybe you're frustrated in your marriage. Maybe you are experiencing infertility and not able to have children like you thought that you were. You have a special needs child. Maybe we think about the vocation of our church lives, called to be a part of a body. You don't feel like you're exercising your gifts, that your gifts are not being seen, that your voice is not being heard. You're struggling to find real community, and you feel like the church is so fake and so superficial. Maybe you've been displaced during the pandemic, and the people that you loved all of a sudden went crazy the last year, and now you find yourself here, and you're like, what am I doing? I don't even know these people. We got wounds from the past. I mean, all of these things are at play. 
And I don't know what that looks like for you, but I'm just trying to establish some categories for what Hannah's talking about. Our vocations are hard. They involve thorns and thistles. And I just want to issue quick, just quick, four quick, I'm just going to say these, four quick invitations for us as we start this series on vocation. The first thing as we look at the struggles of our vocation is an invitation to just lament. You look at these things and maybe just to list these things out and be honest about them. Stop pressing them down. Stop acting like they're not there. Stop showing up at church and saying everything's awesome when it's not. We should be a place where it's hard. And it's okay to say, hey, my vocation has not worked out the way that I thought. My marriage hasn't worked out the way that I thought. My singleness hasn't panned out like I thought. My job's not working out like I thought. And we need to just grieve that. Just say, hey, I'm lamenting this. God, I don't know what to do with this, but I just need to grieve it. I need to share this struggle with somebody else. So there's an invitation to lament. There's an invitation to surrender. An invitation to surrender. So many of us have been living our vocations as if we are creating them rather than being called to them. We have pretended as if we are sovereign over the vocational pathways of our lives, and we're not. If you think that you are, just wait a little bit. Wait 10 years. Wait 20 years. Wait 30 years. We need to surrender. So the question is, how have I been attempting to advance my vocation without acknowledging God's providence and sovereignty and loving care for me? And how might that be creating the anxiety that I'm walking in, the sadness that I'm walking in, the arrogance that I carry, my posture as I talk about my success and my vocation? Third invitation. And then, by the way, that's the whole point of 1 Corinthians. You got a bunch of, it's, it's, Corinth is a wealthy, one of the most prosperous cities, a bunch of ambitious people on the rise who've now been brought into community with the poor and with the disenfranchised, and they're trying to work out what does it look like to be a community of people, and they're fighting with one another. And most of the differences in this community are not theological, they're, they're social, they're vocational, they're relational. Their class, race, ethnicity. And Paul says, remember your calling. You've been called by God. You didn't choose this community. It's been chosen for you. You've been invited by God to participate with what God's doing in this community. Third thing, hopefulness. Hopefulness. Success in your vocation isn't dependent on you. That's the hope that Paul gives us. Notice at the end of this passage here, he says, God is faithful. God is faithful. Just as God was faithful to Jesus when he was hanging on the cross and he was buried in that tomb and all hope seemed to be lost, God was faithful to raise Jesus from the dead and vindicate his vocation and to say, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased and he is the one through whom all creation is going to be blessed, through whom the curse is going to be overwhelmed by my redemptive purposes in the world. Your vocation is not dependent on you, but on God's faithfulness to you through Jesus Christ and his resurrection from the dead. And that's why Paul ends the letter in chapter 15 by saying this, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast, be immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. It's not meaningless. It's not pointless. Why? He just spent the whole chapter in chapter 15 saying, because what? Jesus is raised from the dead. 
Therefore, your work is not in vain. Nothing you do, no diaper changed, no colostomy bag changed, no trash picked up, none of it will ever be in vain. Because you serve a God who is making all things new through Jesus Christ. So have hope that God brings life and flourishing out of the curse of death. God will use you to love other people through your vocation. It will happen. Your responsibility is not to control the outcomes, but to simply answer the call. Who is God calling me to love? How can I have a hopefulness as I answer that call? So we're going to be done. And I want to invite us to come here to communion as we reflect on this invitation from God, the call of God on our lives. This is, I believe, the fourth invitation as we go to communion. I just want us to reflect and then take this meal together. I want us to respond to God's call. And I want us to see this as an invitation to discovery. What is God's vocation for you? What is God's call on your life? The first call that we know is being issued to all of us here, regardless of race, background, socioeconomic status, gender, power, is this. You're called into fellowship with Jesus Christ. Have you responded to God's first call to become a disciple, to trust him with your life, to surrender yourself to him? None of these other vocations will ever make sense. Your work will never ultimately make sense. Your family life will never make sense. Your singleness will never make sense ultimately in any meaningful way apart from this call to be a disciple of Jesus. This call to repent, to reorient your life to God, to turn away from trusting in yourself and to trust in God, and to surrender yourself to him. This vocation is first and foremost about learning to discern the presence and the power of God at work in our lives, and it is being issued to all, all this morning. So have you trusted in Jesus? And then secondly, who is God calling you to love right now as God has loved you? How has God uniquely wired you? Where might he be calling you to discover fresh ways to love others in your current season of life. Start where you are right now with what you have. The opportunities, as Paul says, presently that have been given to you. Don't wait to the future. Don't wait till this situation changes. Paul says right now you've been called to live out your vocation. Get started loving people right where you're at. And so I want to encourage you this week in community to have those conversations with one another. Revisit your calling from God Together, talk about it in your MC. Talk about it in your discipleship group. Talk about it with your spouse. How is God calling us as a community to love one another, to fulfill the calling that God has for our lives? That's our invitation as we come to communion, to remember that that's what God's doing in us and among us. So let's just take a moment to confess to him. Let's take a moment to lament. Let's take a moment to surrender. Let's take a moment to renew our hopefulness for these vocations that God has given us to discover the design and the calling that God has on our lives. We're gonna pass out the communion elements. You guys would go ahead and pass those out. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a disciple called into fellowship with him, take that as your very life. Hold on to it for just a second. I'll lead us through communion together. If you're not a follower of Jesus, we're so glad that you're here. We'd invite you not to take communion as others come to, to take it. This is maybe a time for reflection, a time to ask those hard questions. What would it look like for me to become a follower of Jesus? What's keeping me from taking up that vocation? What wounds need to be addressed? What objections need to be dealt with? What community needs to be established so I could actually see that embodied in a real way?